0: Welcome to another episode of Two Lost Dads, the only show about two lost dads who have uh, lost their dads. Lost two dads. <laughs> lost two dads. <laughs> so,
1: Wow, isn't that exciting?
0: <laughs> it's such an exciting show. It's not even a little depressing. It's enlightening. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so this week, uh, last week we talked, about our little introduction. Uh, I talked about our dads and a little bit about ourselves. I don't think that's ever going to stop. I think that's the entire point of the show. Um, <laughs> uh, but this week, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about uh, like disobedience or delinquency, because um, I know, I know you mentioned that your dad was like a pretty straight arrow, and like so was mine. Um, <laughs> you mentioned you had gotten into a bit of trouble in your youth and so did I. Um <laughs> So it's just interesting to me that both of our both of our parents were so um kind of put together and were able to know, manage themselves in whatever way society thought they were supposed to manage themselves. Uh but I, I'm sure they still had some amount of I don't know uniqueness uh to them just because like we are disobedient in some way, doesn't mean that our parents never were. And I, I sat around thinking about it. And I remember this story uh, that my dad told to me because he didn't break the law a lot or do anything really uh, immoral uh, because he was really into like his moral stance. Um, but when he was in high school, he once uh, he told me a story about how he and his friend, <laughs> and he, he, they went out to this field uh, on the school. And the the uh the flagpole the uh, goalposts for the uh-huh. football game, they they went out there with some red paint and they thought it was the funniest thing in the world. But they painted candy cane stripes around the white pole with red paint. And he's telling me this story, and he's like, "Oh, it's so funny." I can't remember his friend's name. It doesn't matter. Um, he's like, "Oh, it's so funny. We had such a great time." And I'm like 11 years old when he's telling me this story. And uh, he's like, I'll never forget the next day at school, though, because we were laughing about it and pointing and uh, and then they made an announcement and they were saying that like how disappointed they were. It was like the principal saying how disappointed they were that the school was vandalized and et cetera, et cetera. And how if anybody had any information and my dad saying, well, all this like, uh, well, this announcement's going on. Uh, he's looking at his watch and on his watch there's these little flecks of red paint and so he's sitting there in class like trying to rub these little bits of red paint off of his watch and um, for the rest of the day he's super paranoid because he takes the watch off and he sticks it in his locker but then he finds he's still got red little bits of red paint so all day he's like I've got little bits of red paint all over my skin Uh, but he has like all these freckles my dad had like tons of freckles all over him Uh, So to me, it was kind of funny because I was like, who's going to notice little bits of red paint on you? And like, why are you being so paranoid about being caught? So I guess well, when I was a kid, I guess his point in the story was that like, even if nobody's watching you, you should do the right thing um, because you'll feel guilty about your actions. Like if you're not proud of what you've done, you will feel some amount of guilt because he always told these stories and they'd have some kind of moral. And I don't really remember what the moral was supposed to be for that story, but knowing my dad and looking back on that story, I'm thinking about why he told it to me. Uh, I think he was just trying to say that, you know, you don't run red lights just because nobody's watching kind of thing, even though he literally did that to, and like when I was younger also, but it was kind of that, that thing that you act like a good person, even if nobody's watching, because if you don't, you'll feel like shitty about yourself.
1: Well, a couple of things. First of all, you never act. You just are.
0: Right. Either you are a
1: good person or you're not. The people I can't stand are the people that act like they're good people. There's a shit ton of those people out there. Um, What I would tell you is my dad, you know, we kind of like we talked in the last episode. It's interesting as a father. um, One of the things you do is you you look back on your childhood and what your father did or didn't say to you and you that informs you in some ways as to how do you think you should be a parent or how you should be a father. Um, I will say my father literally until late, late, late in his life, never gave any indication that he ever was anything other than a rules follower who did what he was supposed to do and what was asked to him. And that was it. And he Beat into us. I, that's not the right word because he never really beat us other than back then. You sure did get a spanking. It, it was just still acceptable back in those days. But he would, um, his line was, you have to live with the consequences of your actions. And I, at the time, I didn't really understand it. A few years later, especially after I'd gotten in a variety of, of trouble, um, I recognized that what he was really doing was saying, it's on you you decide whatever it is you're getting ready to do you and your buddy are like hey we're gonna go paint candy stripes on the on the football goalposts you need to go in your own mind wow that sounds fun and am i willing to deal with that if i get caught i could get arrested if i get caught i might get expelled You make that decision for yourself, and that's one thing I did like about his approach was he never told me not to do something. He just wanted you to know that if you make that decision, don't come crying to anybody else about the decision you made and the repercussions from it. And I lived that most of my delinquent childhood because my teenage years, I I was – a terror and and it was uh, mostly acting out and rebelling against stupidity and things that i just didn't understand why why it was that big a deal that society expected me to do x y or z um and frankly i have a very weird sense of humor so things that i was like hell yeah let's do that and more times than not i did kick caught or i did get in trouble and um I dealt with the consequences each and every time and so to me that was you know the difference I think my father never especially because he had a very difficult childhood he never until his late late years of his life ever even talked about his childhood I never really until his late years really even understood the number of siblings he had or anything else um, and then in those late contemplative years as you might have seen with your father once he was diagnosed with cancer a little more open to maybe share a few things that they hadn't shared and and I think I might have said in the last episode the thing about my father I always saw was he had this I don't know a grin when I'd be in trouble for really bad things not bad things I never did anything bad just stupid things I just felt like Sometimes he was kind of looking at me while my mom was crying or screaming or whatever, kind of going, <laughs> oh, if I could tell you the things I did, son, you know now did he? I don't know um I mean he told me a couple of stories late in life that were like, "Wow, you really did have a a, a you know we're a little more wild and free in your younger days now, the approach I've taken with my kids that interestingly. Uh, I didn't know if it would work out or not, but I just – I'm a very honest person. I feel like there's – everything I've done in my past, regardless of how ugly and horrible it may be now as an old man looking back on it, they're me. They're the things that made me who I am. They made me, when I did do something that maybe hurt somebody else and I didn't think about it, the repercussions to understand emotionally, wow, I I actually hurt somebody's feelings and I didn't really mean to, and that makes you think about – what you say and how you do it a little bit, you know, a little bit more. And um, so my, my path with my children has been, I share every story. I share all of these stories. My, my relationship with all of my children is, is yes, I'm their parent and, and, but I was their guardian through to get them up to becoming an adult. Now they're adults. And so I'm able to convey to them all of the mistakes I've made, all of the things that I regret Um, And things I don't, places where I did take the risk to do something and, and I'm okay with it. I didn't get caught or whatever the case may be. So sharing all those things, it's incredible to watch each of my children absorb those experiences differently. My oldest, my daughter, who's a very outgoing person, I think she has taken it to, holy shit, you can do a lot of cool stuff, go do it, right? My oldest son is much more... I'm not going to do the stupid things dad did. You know? And my youngest, I still don't know yet. I'll, I'll get back to you on that one in another year or two. Once, once he's had some college experiences.
0: Yeah. You made like a really good point there with the, uh, because you said you don't act good, which I completely agree with, but you, the thing is you do act out. Um, so when I was younger, my dad didn't really do a good job of separating the difference between like, if you, if you do, if you act out and you do something like irresponsible, it doesn't necessarily make you a bad person so I kind of like growing up tied those two things together so like I, I you know I care about other people and I care about what happens to them I care about their feelings and I always have um, but when I started acting out I started realizing like well, I started thinking maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was because my dad would get really upset. And you mentioned how your dad sort of began to open up to you and tell you kind of stories and you kind of saw that smug look on his face. Uh, I didn't really get that <laughs> from my dad. He, he, was, he was suffering for a long time, but he was really, um, he had his faith and he believed more than anything over and over again every single time I talked to him he said I'm gonna get better don't worry about it um because I'd get upset and he would say ah it's no big deal because I'm 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 not I'm not gonna die (laughs) it's not a big deal uh and so he never he never really opened up and I asked him to over and over again I would say hey uh you know tell me something about your childhood and I would text him if I couldn't you know call him and I would tell him stories about you know, who, who I was, things I did, things that he didn't know about, you know, that I thought were funny, because like you, uh, I'm an honest person. I'm honest with my kids. I'm on, I'm honest with everybody. And it's not always a great thing. People don't always admire somebody who opens their mouth and says whatever they're thinking, uh, for various reasons. Um, So, you know, I tried to open up and tell him things. And uh, he kind of, he kind of very politely asked me to stop. Uh, because he was like, I didn't know you did that. And he was getting upset about who I was as a person because I was like, Oh, it's so funny that time me and my friends ditched school and ate acid and I almost got hit by a car, but I'm still alive and it was a really interesting experience. And like, I'm sorry that <laughs> I'm sorry that I did that. <laughs> but uh all
1: right, I was I was riding there for a minute with you because I was like my dad similarly, and my mom specifically in the later years here as I you know you mentioned some of the things you did that they didn't know about. Like I used to go out, I had a VW bug, a 1968 VW bug auto clutch. And, uh, it was my first car. My dad built it for me. He bought three VWs and he, and he was just such a, so good with his hands. He took the three and turned them into two functioning VWs and kept all the third set of parts to repair. And he gave one to my brother who's two years older than me and one to me. And, uh, so I had this black beauty, I called it black, VW that we painted black and I would drive that around town and it whistled. It just made a whistling noise at all the time. I don't know why. And so my parents could hear that. Everybody could fucking hear that. So what I would do is I would come home. I had to be home by like 11 o'clock. I would come home. I'd, you know, park in the driveway. And we just happened to be in a de not a cul-de-sac, but in a subdivision where a street came in and ended right into our house. So I would pull into the driveway park go in, say goodnight, you know, because my mom would always wait up until I was home in case something bad happened. And then they'd go to bed and I'd wait a little while and then I'd go back out. I'd put it in neutral and my buddy'd be outside, this Dave, and we'd push it out of the driveway and we'd push it down the road until we got far enough away. And then we'd jump in and whistle away. And um, anyway, so it's like I tried to tell those stories, which to me are humorous that for years in high school, they had no idea that I was out to three in the morning a lot of times you know and um but boy when I tried to tell them they I got the exactly what you're talking about I don't want I don't want to hear about this I don't just leave me alone I don't need to know that's a man and I guess in in hindsight I guess I sort of understand it but at the same time I sure don't have that relationship with my kids and every time they do something stupid idiotic uh, or just fun I love when they tell me cuz I can giggle about it and go <laughs> normally I have one well you know what let me tell you what I did <laughs> it was very similar you know mm-hmm. and I don't know to me that's just the I, I'm very happy with my relationship with my my children because I I feel different than I feel like I have the relationship with my father uh, or my mother yeah
0: it's a yeah. That's the kind of relationship I'm trying to foster with my kids too, where they can just come and and tell me things. And I think that's like probably prob- probably what a lot of parents hope for when they when they become parents is that at some point in their children's future, their kids will come to them and tell them, you know, the good, the bad, and and the ugly, and kind of treat them like a friend or a confidant at at the very least.
1: It's um, so difficult though, because as a father, and and I know these are gender stereotypes but at least that's how I was raised the father's the disciplinarian you know even my wife I tell her when the kids were younger I always said I'm the hammer because I was a, I traveled a lot for business so I wasn't there and she'd be call me frustrated because or whatever and I would just say look you know I'm the hammer you just tell them you know you fix this before dad gets home or I'm going to tell him about it and and so you know it's it's the father's responsibility right or wrong in some ways to be that mean person that authoritarian and you have but the, you have to find the balance and and the mother on the other side is usually the caring loving nurturing one that helicopters the kids and so it's just i think and i think it's changing so much for you know you're you're a bit behind me gener one generation behind me but i look at my children's generation and i think god it's going to be really difficult to parent in a world of opal, open social media just constant feeding of, of information and misinformation. And I I don't know, just the, Hey, let's go eat Tide pods. Right. I mean, it's one thing to be in a, in a school with 50 kids in your class and you're getting some peer pressure to do something stupid that you can easily say one kid wants me to eat an iPod. I'm not uh, a Tide pod. I'm not doing it. But when you're in third, fourth, sixth grade, whatever, and you're on I don't know what do they use today, Instagram or TikTok. you know whatever it's a, a TikTok. Yeah, TikTok. <laughs> hey, here's your TikTok challenge: eat a Tide pod. Before you know it, they fucking because they just I, again. I think we're in a really dangerous zone uh, for kids, and I think parenting is going to be, you know, it, it. I could take parenting cues from my parents. I'm not sure my kids are going to be able to take parenting cues from me because even my son pointed out to me like, um, do you know who Bo Burnham is? No, the comedian.
0: Oh yeah, be... yeah 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 I know that yeah mm-hmm.
1: I remember when he first came out on YouTube years ago my my oldest son was you know teenager and they loved him and I thought he was hilarious too so over the years I've watched his stand up routines I think they're funny I think he's talented and he just put one out on Netflix that is about the pandemic and basically being tra- it's called inside and the whole thing is basically a performance art piece of him in his apartment making this thing all by himself for a year. And initially I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. That's creative. Because isn't that the stuff we're trying to do? Where you write it, you perform you do all these things. And um, and so we start watching it. And my wife and I literally watched 15 minutes. We giggled a couple times, then we're like, This is so weird. And we turned it off, and a bunch of people said, No, you gotta watch it. We watched it another 15 minutes, couldn't get into it. I talked to my son at breakfast the other day and was explaining it, and he's like, Dad, that's cause everything in there is hilarious to my generation because we grew up on Instagram. We get the white Instagram, you know, song, white Instagram, white girl, Instagram song that he does and stuff. And I'm like, see, I can't even relate to that because I've never been on Instagram. I know what it is. I, I just don't use it. It's not a part of my life. And so as technology moves faster and faster and has deeper and deeper influences on the children, it's going to be really tough to keep up because oh. the older you get, the, I'm a geek, and I'm giving up on a lot of different technologies that are just like – in the olden days, it used to be a piece of tech showed up at my house, and I'd be ripping it apart and trying to figure out how it worked. Now I'm like, eh, I don't care. Here, here, Logan, here's a here's a drone. Go play with this and see <laughs> if you can figure out how it works, you know? <laughs> you know yeah. hey here's my Roomba please set up the app for me because I don't feel like doing it kind of thing you know yep yeah I'm with you I'm uh I'm reaching the point
0: and I'm you know like I said I'm a whole generation behind you and even I'm I'm falling behind with some of this stuff where I'm just uh not able to. like and I, I used to be pretty on top of it like I'm a pretty young hip dude still um but I just don't care like I'm just I don't have time for this I have other things going on and somebody else can figure out and explain it to me. And if they don't explain it to me well enough, then it's obviously not worth doing.
1: <laughs> so. Well, you just said something important, too, that's totally unrelated, but to take us off in a different direction. Um, so uh, last night, I woke up this morning to a Snapchat. I have a Snapchat. Woo-hoo! I'm, 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 I'm a hip dad. I've got Snapchat, but the only people I have on Snapchat are my children and my wife and like two or three adult friends of ours. Um, and that's it. And the only thing I use it for is I think it's a fabulous vehicle for me to see my kids' days through their eyes every day by going in the next day and I look at their story, right? And I see what they did. And I'll be honest, I, now Snapchat started giving me my story every month, showing me a recap of May. And I'm like going, cool, I have a really cool life. I, you know, I raised baby possums. I caught a snake. I, you know, It's kind of like fun seeing your, your month. So anyway exciting cool stuff i like snapchat and a very limited uh connection with my children but i woke up this morning to a snapchat from my daughter i don't usually get direct snapchats i usually just look at people's stories and it was a yearbook a scrapbook that she did when she was a senior in high school and she just took a picture of it and said oh my god this was the best thing to find tonight um something like that and 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 I, I saw on the picture, you know, there's young pictures of me and my wife and her as a little kid, and her high school boyfriend Pete and um and I, and I didn't think anything of it other than I'm going to be down there in a couple of weeks, and I said, "Hey, I'm looking forward to going through it, you know, down that memory lane." And um didn't think anything of it, And then I was on a call with my older son, who, as you know, you and I are involved with him on a project called Pigs with Lasers a video game development project. Woo, pigs with lasers. Woo. And um, I was on a, uh, an LLC member call this morning with him and Reed, another partner in that business. And they both know, uh, obviously, they, they're both a big part of our family. And they said, hey, did you hear about Pete, Andrea's old high school boyfriend? I'm like, no, she sent me a weird Snapchat. Um, but that was it. Well, it turns out that uh, Pete got killed last night. Right. He's my daughter's one year older than my daughter. He was a great ahead of her in high school. They dated all through high school and into college. Um, So 31 year old. He was a really cool dude. I immediately started thinking of memories I had of that kid over at our house. And, uh, you know, good things and bad things when you're a father and have a daughter that has a boyfriend. But um, anyway, that I I switched to that topic because it's really important, uh, I think. The older I get, to realize how precious life is, and the fact that Pete got up yesterday and had no idea he was—it was his last day on earth. Did he say I love you to all the people that he loves to? Did he say I love you to his mom and dad? I don't know. But that is exactly the reason that every time I get off the phone with anyone in my life, I tell them I love them, because those aren't hard words to say. And ultimately, if they're the last words that I ever say to my daughter or my son or or, or whoever, I, I, you know, well, there's worse things you could have as your last words that you say to somebody. But anyway, that was just a that that one kind of hit hard uh, this morning when I realized that uh, that he had died at 31, you know, and and I think we all you're probably not even you're not there yet. And, and you're what, 38, yeah. 39, something like that.
0: Something like you're, that.
1: You're not there yet you're at the age that the only people that die you know are very random uh individuals that died a tragic death or like your father cancer but they're few and far between and then you get to my age 50s i'll be 57 in two weeks and i can't tell you how many people i know are dying and and it just it's like whoa when i was 37 I thought I had the whole fucking world ahead of me, and now at 57, I'm like, most of my life's behind me. I have a very small part in front of me. Could we please make every day fun and enjoyable, and not forget that it could be your last day? So that's my philosophical rantings for on death for the moment. Yeah,
0: yeah, a little bit of a bummer, dude, man. Yeah, but no, you're right. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think about that a lot because you know my dad died relatively young like he lived a pretty long life but you know
1: 66 or so yeah you said, right?
0: 66 so you know if I think about it like that I've um I've reached I've I worked the halfway point I'm probably not going to die at 66 I have no idea I might die tomorrow uh so there's no way to know but like you said I um I've kind of always thought like that though my entire life's mentality has been built on the idea that Uh, I only get to live life once. And I don't want to follow a bunch of rules that I don't necessarily agree with that are arbitrary. Not saying that you shouldn't follow rules. Uh, It just kind of brings me circles me back to my point that uh, my dad put a lot of like, seemingly arbitrary morals on me that were based on either like his religious views or his personal moral views, or just like, like laws that you know are in place that like are you know anyway everybody has to follow the laws we all do what we do we all break what rules we know we can bend or break um it's just i very early on uh because my dad was so strict and controlling and saying don't do this but it's okay to do this i would think why is it okay to do this but not this other thing that's so similar what difference does it make um and so I lived my whole life going forward and, and watching people go on and making decisions about like why they go to school, why they do their homework, why they have the friends that they have, why they choose to go out at night uh, instead of staying in to do something else or whatever the reasons may yeah. be. And so I've kind of built my entire, my entire life based upon like these alternate moral principles that have sometimes gotten me into trouble, but have always ultimately led me on a path to where I wanted to go. Um, and so I guess it's difficult for me uh, as a parent to kind of see how how my dad's uh, control and my dad's view, my dad's morals constructed basically the opposite out of me. Not like so much. I'm still a good person. And I still have my own morals that I follow. And I'm still, I'm still very much the same person my father is. It's just, I took, he had, he believed certain things like I should work. Mm -hmm. I should work 40 hours a week. And I said, that's ridiculous. Why would I work for like, again, because I, one day I'm going to die. And all I wanted was to spend time with my dad. <laughs> so I'm like, "Why would you work 40 hours a week when your family is suffering? Not suffering, suffering. I just wanted to spend time with them. But you know, I'm sure my mom also wanted to spend time with them, and she said as much after he died. And I'm like, "Well, but he
1: had to do what he had to do. But I could make a choice. So, but I, that, but that's generationally yeah. and culturally a shift that's occurring, and that's the biggest thing my wife and I struggle with. Is you can either become an old person trapped in, in this make-believe structure that's been put around you by society that told you how to act, told you what was acceptable, told you what not to do, and you just said, okay, cool, I got it. I'm going to do what you told me to do. And I think the vast majority of, of our our parents' generation, and and you know, my dad died at ninety-one, so he was even a generation before your father. But any of that generation that grew up from the you know, anywhere in the nineteen hundreds, right, from nineteen thirty through nineteen eighty, right, nineteen seventy, somewhere in there, Th- that whole group of people were raised in an entirely different America, an entirely different set of values and constructs than we see now. And where we see the path going in the fore as we move forward. And that ultimately is the thing we struggle with is to say, I don't want to be. I, I know so many people my age that are angry, angry old men. And they're angry because they've gotten to this point in their life and they've realized the whole thing was a lie. The whole thing was just put in place, right? Religion, for instance, it's a construct. Most of these constructs are made to maintain civil society. Humans aren't intended to be in giant multi-million person cities. That's just how we grew as a species. But the thing is, we're not built to do that. We're built to be in more smaller communal type societies where each person's contribution is visual, visible and you can see it. And, and as a result, we all, we all feel drawn together. And I just feel like we're going down a totally different path. So I see a lot of people my age that finally worked all their years, did all the things they were told to, followed all of the things they were told through media. Hey, you're having a great life. You're working hard. You know, you could have that much nicer car. You could go on that vacation to Hawaii. All you need is a not to open a home equity line. People listened to all that stuff and drove themselves into Frankly, they thought they were having a good time, and they probably did have a good time in Hawaii, but ultimately, all they did was add more and more stress to their lives and more and more difficulty to work through Till they got to that point that they are retired or whatever, and they're looking back and going, this is all there was? This is what I was working towards so that I could quote unquote retire. And, and it was social security and be in debt and, and, you know, bad health and, and I can't afford healthcare. And so I think that whole vibe, just it's an angry vibe that underlies people, my age uh, boomers. Right. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I fight to try to realize that my children and I know my children's children, if they ever have children, We'll have totally different perspectives on the world and needs in the world. And, and things will have changed drastically uh, as I see them changing today. And so it's important for me as an older dad to try to realize that I can't understand Instagram. I mean, I understand it. I don't want to be a part of it, but to recognize how important of a part of the life it is for my children. So that's a, You know, that's a learning experience where you're saying, you know, your father my father couldn't understand why you guys can't just follow the rules, right? Because they just thought that's what you had to do. Nobody told them, wait a minute, you can not follow that rule? I didn't know that. Now we're the ones that are pushing the edge and trying shit and doing stuff and going, Yeah, I can do that if I want to do it. My my general rule is I follow all of the rules of society that I'm forced to follow. And I dev out all of the things that are more social constructs that somebody tells me I should do. It's not a legal requirement. <laughs> it's a legal requirement you don't kill somebody. OK, got that one. Check that mark off. Well, unless I don't yeah. like you, then, then yeah. <laughs> But um you know, But there are so many things that are just like societally driven, like you need to go to church. Well, no, you don't need to go to church. You do, if you believe in it, great, have a good time, but I don't have to. And so as I've more and gotten older, and frankly had enough success in life to be able to kind of say, I don't really care. And I don't, I can live with the consequences of the decisions I make. Uh, that's made it easier for me to at least be able to connect with my kids. I do worry how hard it, it is for so many people. And hopefully, hopefully we get some subscribers and their old dads like me, because I guarantee you there's a lot of them that, aren't able to, even my ex-wife, uh, of my two older children, I, you know, I see it all the time now because I hear from them. Right. And I hear, I can hear the relationship they have with their mother and I can hear and see the relationship they have with me. And I'd so just like to tell my ex-wife, look, just stop parenting them you don't need to parent them anymore they're 30 and 26 they're adult human beings just talk to them like human beings and um it's difficult it's really tough yeah i uh I
0: don't know you you said that you got to a point where you were successful enough to you know ignore them I just like to point out that you don't have to be successful to to ignore rules because my life is a roller coaster <laughs> <laughs> my life's a roller coaster and I don't I don't follow any rules basically so but yeah it's uh you know my life I guess everybody has a different mentality and I kind of as a a creative type I kind of enjoy the roller coaster of life sometimes i'm struggling really hard and i don't have any money and sometimes i have a little bit more money than i need i'm never doing super great but that's not something that i'm striving for i'm not striving to be a millionaire i'm just striving to live every day and have experiences and use those experiences to create art and um that's all i've ever all i've ever really wanted
1: (laughs) i i I can't i don't know what stories i've told you and haven't told you through because we're still getting to know each other uh, on more of a personal basis, and so, uh, but I can—I know the viewers haven't heard these stories, <laughs> so uh, you know—I uh, I don't know. I—I I look at—I uh, look at the things, the decisions we make in life, and I—I uh, I feel like the important, the most important thing is that when you make that decision again you can live with what happens from it and to your point it doesn't require money to follow your heart right i didn't really get to but you know one story i tell is that you know when i started my first company i, I didn't really i mean it wasn't on my radar to start a company it was just some things happened it was early internet days and a situation kind of just evolved into me starting a company and and i was like like hey this is cool We're starting a company and doing this and and it was fun right and that's what i was looking for well the problem is when it was just a couple of us and it was fun i was having a blast then it started growing more people were involved and ultimately the people that were involved were really more business oriented people they had objectives which was to make a lot of money. Right. And, and the tension got really difficult between one of my co-founders and uh, the gentleman that we'd brought in to be the president of the company. And um, we all just sat down in the conference room one day and kind of had a come to Jesus meeting. And they were, I I was like, what do you want? And one of them was like, I want to, we're here to make a lot of money. That's what I want to do. Blah, blah, blah. The other one is like, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's, we're entering a consolidation stage and we need to be open to, you know, deals to to merge with other companies and blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, well, guys, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just here to have fun. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to have a good time. And if we make money, awesome. But I just want to enjoy it and really have the experience of it, right? Shortly after that, the president left <laughs> because he well, realized sure. that he, he realized that he just wanted to He wanted to, you know, there were different, we had different needs. Now, you know, that, I I look at that, and again, I I can't, everybody has to do what feels right in their life and what's most important in their life. Um, In that case, the president was, of that company was, uh, um, he was a good friend of mine, he still is a good friend of mine to this day. Uh, he's actually <laughs> recently became the president of my last software company, so he 's still a part of my life, and I love the man to death, but you know he grew up in Nigeria, and so he you know he had a different outlook probably on the need to accumulate wealth uh and to help other uh you know members of his family and uh, just things i wasn 't concerned about and so you can 't judge people for why they 've pursued what they they 've pursued in life. I just, each time I see them, see people, I just try to impress upon them, you know, please just live a little bit. You know, if all you do is worry about the work, 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 work part of it and making money, 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 you get trapped in in a really bad rat race. And frankly, I understand that it's important to have some money, but after a certain point, then you're giving up life experiences in exchange for some mythical piece of paper in a bank somewhere. So you uh
0: you almost quoted i wrote a book everybody you don't have to buy it but everybody
1: has to buy it
0: every everybody has to buy my book called the patron saint of Pinball." uh but in in the first (laughs) chapter yeah everybody go buy it right now uh in the first chapter there's a line that says uh here we go uh and what am i left with some imagined standard for the way i was supposed to live my life be a loving husband, be a caring father, and don't forget to work, work, work until you die. Because that is that is kind of the mentality yep. that the uh, that we have is you 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 love your wife, you love your kids, and you work, 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 and then you die.
1: But isn't it somewhat beautiful? I I think it's beautiful that I'm seeing the you can only carry on that that Protestant work ethic so far, so long for so much. We've moved away from being a manufacturing type industry uh, or type country uh, based on manufacturing industries to being much more globalized and tech savvy. And as a result, I think, especially with what I call late stage capitalism going on, you're seeing where, you know, my dad was raised in a time that he said, you go to work for the same company and you work for them your whole life and you dedicate yourself and they'll take care of you. It doesn't work like that. And the beautiful thing is to see the next generation waking up. Now, they had to get smacked hard against their head head against the wall here in both 2008 and now again in 2020, where two generations effectively have had their, their, their lives stopped and restarted with economic damage. And I think that's causing them all to go, what? What am I really here for, right? (laughs) You want me to work 80 hours a week on a salary just so you can beat my ass? No, no, not going to do over. And it's funny because the older generation's going, those lazy kids, they don't want to work more than 40 hours. In my day, I worked 70 hours a week. And you're damn right, we did. I did. But now I look back and I go, okay, I get it. Because I always live by the axiom, he who works nine to five will always work nine to five. So if you work really, really hard on something you're passionate about, and you can get some success out of it that will allow you to have more control over your life later because the whole financial aspect's removed from it right and uh, but I, I think that the kids the 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 up and coming generations are going to have a totally different look at the economic landscape more because they're actually able to talk to people in the rest of the world. they're able to understand now just through getting on a twitch stream or jumping on some discord server they can connect with people all over the world and and literally have conversations and gain knowledge that i my generation couldn't what's it like to live in bangladesh what's it, what's it, what's what's the cost of living in brazil you know what, what's good and bad about each thing and what they'll find is they'll find that like america has the longest work week of any civilized country we give, we don't give, we don't provide health care. We don't provide a uh, family leave, a, a paid family leave. And most people get two, at most, two weeks of vacation. And if they're salaried, they're asked to work 60, 70 hours, especially with productivity tools and access to data through smartphones. Now it's just a constant on. And I think the younger kids are going, nah, nah, that ain't going to do it. That's not what I want. And that'll be cool to watch how that transforms the world, because I do believe that it's unsustainable on the path that my generation was on.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Every single day I I wake up and I read something, I go on Reddit, go on Facebook, whatever, and I'll see some kind of post or video or some kind of like informative something. And basically the, the, uh, the, the point of everything is America pays the most and receives the least. So why are you allowing that to happen? And I can just see the tension just mounting over and over again, every single day. And at some point it's just gonna reach its boiling point and whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. And I I'm gonna be too old. <laughs> I'll still be out there to vote. Um, but I'm 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 gonna be part of that older generation by the time anything probably happens. So I'm on I'm on board because let's just say it right now. The whole point of this podcast is to, you know, get woke, son. Uh <laughs> <laughs> You got you to gotta move with the times and realize that being a dad's about evolving um, and changing and re- changing your point of view and realizing that the things you did in your life aren't necessarily the things that you want for your children, um, because ultimately, we're all kind of have regrets about our own lives or the way our parents raised us or, you know, whatever. So, you know, let's all evolve together and try to work through growing as a person and growing as a world. Uh, because it is difficult.
1: Yeah, I know we're coming down on time. I think I'm always trying to look for moments to drop little nuggets of wisdom. I think the the key there, to extend what you just said, it's it's being a parent, I think successfully, at least from my limited experience, my population of two and a half right now, heading to three uh, adult children, um, uh, the key is understand and find the balance between being um a parent and being a friend and being willing to listen to your children and listen to their dreams and their hopes and don't squash them i you know my father's pretty much shut down my dreams of, of of you know being an artist or being artistic in nature um and I understand why I did it and I don't hold it against him or regret it in any way, shape or form. I was an adult by then. I could have made a different decision. I didn't. Uh, I followed along and did what I was asked to do. But now what's interesting is watching my children. And as they say to me, uh, I parrot my dad's advice. You get your degree and you do your career to make money so that you have money to support your passion. And so his perspective was make the money, and then you can pursue your passions because you have the money to pursue your passions. I don't. I, I. That's how my life has gone. Right now, I have money to pursue my passions. Now I can do various things that I want to do. But was it worth it? I, I don't know. I'm watching my children try to find the balance between: Is there a way to make your passion your life? I see you've done it, and you have to make trade-offs. And yeah. and my children have to understand the same thing that you can you can choose. To pursue your passion, um, but you better make sure you can make a living on it. What's interesting is because there are a lot of people, I don't want to say falling out of society, but that's the best terminology I can come up with. There are a lot of people that are opting out. They're opting out of capitalism. They're opting out of a materialistic life cycle, lifestyle. They're going to you know, tiny homes and, and, and conceptually just going, what do I really need versus what do I really want what does society tell me I want right and I think as you see more and more of those people I believe the two things are going to happen here interestingly in the next 20 years that I will get to see one is that people will be able to more pursue or because of the way the 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 market moves towards more of a a gig economy structure you're going to have more and more people just doing something they're passionate about I see it all the time look at Etsy and and um frankly Anything on Amazon that's not uh, uh, you know, made by a, a major manufacturer, anybody can start a business today. Anybody can do something that's interesting to them and, and make enough money to enjoy the things they want in life as long as they don't want a $400 million yacht. Right. If they just say, I want to I want a man, I want to be able to go down to the local pub on Tuesday nights for open mic night and jam with my buddies. And and I want to be able to take a vacation every year, rent a camper and go across the country with my wife and kids for a month. Those life experiences are the things that I think the shift in economics is going to drive people more towards that. The digitalization and globalization of, uh, of digital industries also is removing the geographical barriers so that people can go do those things anywhere they want to do them they can simply say i'm in if i'm a in a call center scenario i can i can put on my headset in my van sitting out in the rocky mountains and you know with starlink connected doing all my work and when i'm done i click a button i'm done and i go outside and i stand and i look at the beautiful mountains as opposed to get in a car and go choke down fumes with you know a million other people for two hours to get to my little suburban nothingness uh you know i i think you're gonna i think you're gonna see a, a really big change in how people approach life and then the second half of that is uh, you know i have this fight or not fight but it, uh Passionate discussion with with my investors and others uh, when we're having more philosophical money conversations about what what's going to happen with automation, right? And and I I think that's going to be the second driver of this that's going to basically reduce the need for human labor. And when we reduce the human need for human labor, what do you do? That's why I think ultimately global basic income or or UBI is going to universal basic income is going to become something that's not called welfare. It's just here's a here's an amount that covers roof over your head, food in your belly, health care, the basics of life you know pazlov's uh 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 what the basic the level, hierarchy of needs right hierarchy yeah. needs, but the base levels of physiological needs right, that oh, right, you just right. Need to survive. and and if we can get to a point as a society we're providing all of those things for people. And I think we have to, otherwise you're going to have a French revolution. (laughs) I think when that happens, you're going to see the new renaissance because you're going to see a lot of people go, you know what? I got my basics taken care of. If I could sell four of my custom-made wood sculptures a month on Etsy, hey, that gets me my vacation fund or whatever. I think you're going to see people start to value their leisure time more effectively once they've brought their reigned in their needs to, or their wants into their actual needs.
0: I, I absolutely agree because this is basically the philosophy I, I live my life by now. I have my base. Well, I mean, I have to work for my base needs now. I'm not getting a universal income, but I, uh, I have my base needs and then I say, what extra things do I need? And then I work towards those. And that's the amount of work I do. And then I get my leisure time because the leisure time is important. Because I have other leisure activities I'd like to do, like playing with my children or going to the beach or whatever it may be. So yeah, yeah it's uh, I think it's uh, I think it's just coming to a head right now. And and you're right, there's just so many opportunities for people to go out and make money and do it in ways that are innovative and are based upon people's own like you know moral standards or you know creativity. And the farther we that we push into that, the less likely it's going to be that people are going to get up every day and struggle and go to work and work 70 hours a week only to uh, get well,
1: cancer and die. Yeah, well, the, the other way I'd, I, I'd ask our viewers to look at it is think about like West Virginia. I was reading a great article the other day on uh, Manchin and uh, uh, you know, the Democrat senator from West Virginia mm-hmm. and his background and his history and how he grew up. And, and it was talking to his constituents in West Virginia. And it's just interesting to see how much West Virginia you know, changed as it lost its coal Uh, industry over the years and the challenges that are raised there, but the interesting thing is it it talked about the fact that like why was everybody a coal miner? Sure it was because it was the industry, but it was was just in their culture a respected thing. You grew up and you went to work in the mine because your daddy did and your granddaddy did and they were in there with you, right? And so when it was the only thing, and then you got up on Sunday and you went to your church and you did it. And that's, that's the only bubble you knew, this tiny little bubble universe that you lived in. And so you didn't know there was anything outside of it. The internet has punctured that bubble so immensely that now a teenager in West Virginia that's 13 or 14 or 15 and has never seen anything other than mining suddenly is on the internet and talking to kids in other places in the world and seeing how different it is and how different the cultures are, which is allowing you to look at things differently. I know I never even – honestly, I grew up in a little farm town in Ohio. We had one black family in the entire town, one African-American family in the entire town. I didn't – you just didn't – I didn't even know about racism because I d- didn't know anything about it. It was never introduced. I mean why would you – Think about racism if you've never seen it or been exposed to it or anything else. You've just eaten the whitewashed history crap that's being fed to you. And now you get – for me, it was when I went in the Army, right? And I, and I went to Fort Benning, and suddenly I was in an infantry platoon with you know people from all over the country, and every color, race, ethnicity, religion all shoved together – and as a as a young 18 year old man i was like holy crap wow i didn't even know this existed <laughs> right and so i now i had to go somewhere and get my ass kicked in the middle of georgia heat to to even meet other people now that 13 year old's in their room at night talking to vikram over in you know mumbai playing some game with them and at the same time, learning about them and learning about what drives them and their family and their culture. And I think that globalization of culture is what's going to be like, critically important for us old people to realize how different it is from we were, how we were raised and not grasp and grip onto the past, which I honestly, as I think part of what we've been seeing in the last four or five years or slightly more of politics in the US, we have to let go of what we saw and how we were raised, the problem is a lot of people have never left their bubble. They're still in their bubble. And, you know, the people listening to us here are going to probably still be in their bubble to some degree. The beauty is that it started, the bubble is starting to get penetrated anyway with podcasts and uh, <laughs> any number of ways that people begin to see other perspectives if they're willing to listen to other perspectives. So
0: I guess that brings us to... Uh thanks for listening point.
1: <laughs> hopefully this isn't too dense. Uh, I mean, I'm having fun talking with you and, and uh, I look forward to continuing over the you know, coming weeks and months and hopefully years just talking to you and getting to know you better because I think you're an awesome human being. And I love you, Keith. I love you too, Randy. Oh, <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> That's all right. All right, well, we, let's we'll sign off for the week. I want to thank everybody and um, uh, we hope you keep tuning in.
0: Yeah, please do. And uh, we may not have hit all our disobedience things, but we got somewhere and uh, we'll do it again next week and talk about something else.
1: All right. See you later. Peace out.